this morning. Uh, it is the first uh, week of Advent. It's the first four Sundays that happen before Christmas. And it's just uh, like Norm said, it's a way for us to prepare our hearts uh, to get out of the busyness and the consumerism and all the different things that try to distract us, to actually focus in on yeah, where's Jesus in the midst of this? And, and he is coming again. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to read from Luke, the book of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And you will find a, a very, very classic story, a very classic passage from the Christmas narrative. We're going to start in verse 8 together. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger." Many of us have heard that passage many times. And in this little town called Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, there was a birth so significant that it not only changed the world forever, it actually paved the way for a radical change of the past, present, and the future. The birth of Jesus Christ was so significant that most of the world actually marks its calendar the calendar of human history from that very date. Many cultures don't. There's a time, there is a time before Jesus' birth and a time of history that's after Jesus' birth. Uh, we used to call it B.C. and A.D. Different cultures and religions have uh, tried to extinguish Jesus' impact on the world's calendar. You know, granted, many different cultures and civilizations existed long before Jesus uh, ever walked the earth, before his coming. Um, Our modern uh, historic and scientific disciplines have often felt the need to erase the impact of Jesus' birth from the calendar, to move more towards a political correctness and inclusiveness by changing those at A.D. and and B.C. uh, to just... B.C.E. and C, which is before the Common Era and then the Common Era, um, which is kind of an irony to me because it doesn't actually change the impact of Jesus' birth by changing the actual dates, but it actually seeks to actually take God out of the equation and make history all about self-centered you and me. It's about us, isn't it? No, it's not. And while there's some disagreement over the exact date uh, of Jesus' birth, there's no solid argument, even though many have tried. Uh, They've tried to prove that Jesus had never been crucified and that he never rose again, uh, rose from the grave. And did you know that there's actually more tangible documentary evidence for Christ's life, death, and resurrection than there is to affirm even the historical existence of somebody famous like Julius Caesar. If you stacked up the the historical records for Julius Caesar, he's got about 612 authenticated documents that authenticate that, yes, he existed. He was the emperor of Rome at this particular time. You know how many there are for Jesus? Almost 15,000. 
And yet we take for granted that Julius Caesar walked around and did his thing, right? I don't know if he knew that or not. You know, some, so the argument against Jesus is really not, was he actually born? You know, did he actually die? How did he die? The real stumbling block people have throughout history has always been who Jesus himself claims to be and who the people who are caught up in the movement that he created claim him to be. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That is a question that every single human being on the face of the planet needs to answer at some point in their lives. So who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? As C.S. Lewis put it, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Somewhere in there. Christmas is a time that we celebrate the answer to this question. The season of Advent, today, joy, it helps to remind us of the very tangible emotions that we feel with regard to Jesus, our Savior, coming into this world as Emmanuel, God with us. But it also reminds us that these aren't just emotions or states of mind. Hope, joy, peace, and love, we're reminded that those four things are actually personified They're actually the identity. They're actually found and sourced in a person, the very real person of Jesus. He is hope, joy, peace, and love. And that's our focus today is joy. That's the candle. So let's come back to this scripture passage that we just read. The angels, they announce to the shepherds that a Savior has been born. Oh, good. Some of you were watching (laughs) Try it again. There we go. The Messiah, right? The one who had been prophetically promised over hundreds of years to the Jewish people had been born in the city of David in Bethlehem. And not only that, amidst the, the shepherds' great fear in seeing this heavenly host, I wonder what that would have been like, announcing the coming Savior, the angel of the Lord says, don't be afraid, meaning, don't worry, guys, you're not gonna die tonight. That's what they would have been thinking. We're going to die. It's like, no, we're here to proclaim good news of great joy that's not just for you, not just for the people of Israel, but this news is for everyone, all the people. In fact, we're announcing it to you guys first. First, the very ultra-ordinary people that nobody thinks are important or will amount to anything, those smelly, dirty, stinky, uneducated shepherds on the side of that hill, we're coming to you. We're announcing it to you to make sure that people know that the Savior has been born for everyone. Okay, good, you're with me. I, I didn't plan that one. The angel tells them that they can find the Messiah in the humblest of locations, right? Lying in an animal's feeding trough, wrapped in strips of cloth, this mighty powerful package, wrapped in just this simple, vulnerable, and poorest voice. And after this host of angels disappears back into the heavenlies, the shepherds, they all agree They're going to leave the sheep behind and they're going to head towards Bethlehem. They're going to go and discover this baby just like the... And they find him. They discover this baby just like the angel had said and they fall down before this child and begin to worship at the feet of the new king. They pour out into the city street 
You can read this a little further on. They pour out into the city street with joy, proclaiming to anybody who would listen the glorious things that they had just experienced. And it's a remarkable portion of the Christmas story, but I wonder how you and I are actually impacted by this 2,000 years later. Why is this such a joyous occasion? Well, has anybody ever promised you anything amazing, like maybe a gift? You know, the young kids, especially Christmas time, there's this feeling of longing and anticipation and agony of, of waiting for this day when that promised gift will finally appear, right? Uh, for some of us, maybe, maybe God promised you something a long time ago. You've gone through the ups, you've gone through the downs, seasons where you remember, seasons where you hope, and others where you feel like you actually forget. Because it's just been such a long wait. I think the Jewish people were probably one, in one of those forgetful phases. But they were actually on the verge of being woken up by what God had actually promised them as a people. I think out of anybody I've known in, in history, the Jewish people had a decent reason for forgetfulness. Right, 400 years had actually passed since God had spoken through the prophet Malachi about this Messiah that would come. And so that was the last time God had definitively spoken through the prophets to Israel. And you can understand how 400 years later on a starry, dark night, people might not be thinking about a Savior coming just in the midst of their daily living, right? What are you waiting for? What are the promises of God that you've been waiting for? Are they on the shelf or do they need to come back down and do you need to bring them before the Lord and say, Lord, what's with these? But this time, God not only spoke using his angels as messengers, he actually did something that had never been done before in time and space. He sent himself. He sent his son into the world as a human child it's what theologians call the incarnation in order to save his people from their sins. And I want to focus right here for a bit because this is a stumbling block to people. Not only do people have a problem acknowledging who he is, who Jesus is, they can also have an issue with anyone suggesting, suggesting that they might not be as good a person as they think they are and that they are desperately in need of a savior. I totally get it. You know, people take issue. You mean, even though I'm a good person, even though I'm kind, I'm, I'm loving, I save injured animals, you know, I, I raise money for orphanages, I take care of ten foster children all at the same time, just me alone by myself, right? I still find some time to bake cookies for people at the hospice, you know, like, you're saying that without receiving Jesus as my Savior and Lord, that I will spend an eternity in hell instead of heaven. You're saying that I'm still a sinful person. That's a tough pill to swallow. Well, I'm not saying it. Jesus and the Bible are saying it. I'm simply just another messenger here today to tell you the story. You know, we all have a decision to make about what's been said. There's a difference between being a bad person and being a sinful person. It's easy to look at a bad person and the things that they've done and think, 
Yep, it's toasty and warm where they're going. Right? Like that, there's, there's that thing inside of us, right? We have this sense that somehow that's fair. Somehow that's just. But we have a really tough time with the thought that good people can somehow be sent to that same awful place. But that's why we need to understand that the problem is far deeper. It's not about good or bad. It's about the holiness of God versus our own condition of sinfulness. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning that none of us can attain to a level of holiness or good enoughness to get by on our own or to get into God's good graces or to make it on our own or to get to God on our own. I mean, since the fall of humanity in the garden, when the first humans decided to go their own way and they ate the fruit that God told them not to, a curse of death fell on humanity and sin entered the world. The holiness of God and the sinfulness that entered into the world were mutually incompatible. The two things couldn't exist and be in the same place. And the relationship that God had with his created ones was broken. A giant fracture occurred in the family. Sinfulness is is not just... It's not just a condition, or it's not just an action. It's a condition. It's this incurable disease that, that will inevitably run its course without the remedy. It will bring death to those who are infected by it. We each need the cure, and the cure is who? Jesus. Joy! It's true. But don't forget the other half of the good news is, is even though we are broken and sinful, God has made a way for us to be restored and forgiven. Jesus can either be a stumbling block to you or he can be a stepping stone. He can be a stepping stone to greater freedom and life and purpose. And this was the, actually, this was the joyous reason for Jesus being sent and coming to earth. The reason that we can have real, true joy that we can celebrate. I mean, we sing about this in, in uh, songs that we, that we sing. Perhaps maybe at Easter time. Um, you know, there's a song that goes, There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven, why Jesus is alive, right? You see, I think at Christmas there are sometimes so many traditions, cultural practices, secular pressures and other things that are vying for our attention, our sights and sounds and everything, that we actually forget the simple truth of why we actually celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the coming of the King. The Savior, the one who would save his people from their sins. And he would have the victory over the curse of sin and death forever. Joy! Joy. And because his his mission being successfully accomplished, that relationship that was broken between us and God is restored. The consequence of sin has been dealt with. And anyone who receives that free gift of salvation 
and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ can have this brand new life of freedom, separate from death itself. Freedom from death. The unholy made holy through Jesus. No more guilt, no more shame. The sinful forgiven and restored. The dead raised to life, raised to new life, born again of the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. Is there any joy in that? You tell me. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of fun, isn't it? You know, I don't know about you, but I think that's a legitimate reason to be the happiest people, the most joyful people on the face of the planet. Have you thought about that? I want to shift gears slightly. Do you know what's a really hard thing to do in our culture and in people around the world? (laughs) It's actually to surprise and impress people. Isn't it? I mean, it's a word, there's a word I introduced to you a couple of years ago that I wanted to bring back to your mind today. It expresses the mood of our culture quite well with just three simple letters. You know, you might have an amazing singing voice, but between the voice and American Idol and all the different franchises that go with that and America's Got Talent and whatever else, there's people around the globe that just say, meh, you know, eh, I heard that before. You know, there's at least 20 other people I'd listen to before I'd ever listen to you, right? You don't have really an amazing voice, right? You know, we, the honors that we used to just only reserve for Olympians uh, because of their amazing physical feats, well, now we've got like the X Games and, and the CrossFit Games and American Ninja Warrior and all these kinds of things, right? You know, the, those bunny hops that you used to do on your BMX bike on, on, on the driveway or on the, on the street, like they, they don't wow anybody anymore, do they? They just go, meh, you know, eh, what? If a movie, you know, isn't in 3D, you know, ultra AVX, Dolby Atmos sound, you know, with vibrations in your seat that accompany the soundtrack of the movie with, you know, scents that fill the air to go along with the different things happening in the movie. We just go, eh, you know, whatever, meh. <laughs> right? Plot lines of, of, of movies and, and TV shows, they have graphic portrayals of violence and other things that would have given people heart attacks if they'd been watching them 40 years ago. And yet now we just simply get these little glazed stares, viewers looking for the director just to take that plot line just to that next edge, right? For the next wow. Or even things like our own, uh, the food that we eat. Well, it should all look like it just came out of a three Michelin star restaurant, right? I should know the farmyard and have a personal relationship with the farmer and his wife and three kids. I should know the exact row of the garden that my roasted beet you know, came out of so I can truly enjoy it. I need to know the name of the chicken that I'm eating. <laughs> And it's life story so that I can feel good and respectful about eating this ethically, organically, morally, spiritually raised chicken, right? Otherwise, right? Meh, right? Where's, where's, where's the joy? Where's the joy? It's nowhere because we're waiting for the next big thing that'll make us say, wow. We're waiting for the next new thing that's going to make us happy and distract us from the real lives that we're living. I need to remind us of something again. 
Because each of us is vulnerable to the noise, the busyness, the seduction of our culture that says, in order to be happy, you need to purchase, you need to consume, you need to become X, Y, Z. If If we just had enough money, if I didn't have this disability, if I could just get that promotion at work, if we could just have a child of our own, whatever the list is, and there's some deep things that we long for, None of that will bring you authentic, lasting joy. Why? Because true joy is not a feeling or a circumstance. True joy is a person. A person. The person of Jesus Christ. Joy is actually found in him. And what Jesus has done for us What he's done for us, it should always amaze us and fill us with with gratitude. If your heart says, if if it says that when you encounter what he's done, then friends, you need to fall back in love with Jesus. You need to fall back in love with Jesus. You've lost some wonder at who he is. Hear that, church. Hear that. Jesus said in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full whose joy is it what's underlined it's Jesus's joy right what does he want to do with that joy he wants to fill us with it and how can we be filled with that joy he tells us by staying close to Jesus and choosing to live life the way that he's commanded and not go our own way. I realize that's easier said than done. Uh, But with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can walk and live a life of joy even amidst suffering. You know, think for a moment. After the shepherds left the town of Bethlehem, glorifying God for everything that they had seen and experienced, What do you think they did next? Yeah, probably. I mean, we don't have, Scripture doesn't tell us. We don't have like a BBC Earth team, docu-series team that, you know, knows all the ins and outs of where the shepherds went after they saw Jesus. But what's the most likely thing that they did? They went back to shepherding their sheep, right? A hard life. A life of a societal outcast. A thankless life. Their circumstance didn't likely change. But their perspective did. Right? They couldn't unsee what they had seen. They couldn't unlive the experience that they had just had and gone through together. And I suspect even when they were suffering wet, cold, on the side of a rocky mountain someday, someday in the future, 
trying to warm themselves by a little fire and keep it stoked, there was still this joy in their hearts because they'd seen the king. They'd seen the Messiah. They'd seen him right there, the promised one, who the angel told them about, the one who would change everything. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're just in the regular rhythms of life. This Christmas season, how will you fight for joy? How will you fight for it? What do you mean, Aaron? You mean it's not just going to drop into my lap? No. Each of us here as followers of Jesus knows from experience that the further we get from Jesus the less authentic joy we have in our life. The more we draw near to Jesus on a regular basis and spend time with him, spend time walking in friendship with him, the more our joy in him is made complete. And that's true whether everything in life is going well or whether it's all chaos and it's all grief. Because remember, it's not a feeling It's a person. Someone once said to me that the opposite of joy is not suffering. But the opposite of joy is despair in your suffering. There's no hope. Figured I'd get that in there. (laughs) But there will be next week. (laughs) right but seriously though if despair is driving your life right now then fighting for joy is going to be really important for you this season you might need some support with that so come see Norm or I about that we would love to be able to hear your story and see what we can do as a church to be able to walk alongside you in the midst of whatever it is that you're walking through But don't stay stuck there. Don't stay stuck there. I just want to give you in in closing just five practical ways that you can battle for joy. Here's the first one. True joy is a gift. True joy is a gift from God. So keep coming back to your Heavenly Father. Keep coming back to Jesus. Keep living life out of the Spirit instead of your flesh. Because your Heavenly Father, who is a good gift giver, will give gifts to us. And because He's the source of the joy, we can actually ask Him for more of Him. More of Him to fill those areas where we're not feeling the love, where we're not feeling the joy, the hope, or the peace. The second is just simply spend time with Jesus. Spend time in the Word, in prayer, listening. Don't neglect this. It will rob you of joy and it, it, because <laughs> it robs you of joy because you actually get less sensitive to the Holy Spirit at work in your life. The further you draw away, the less sensitive you get and less connected you feel. Third one is be patient. Even though nothing seems to be happening, be patient. 
God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. The Bible says, be patient, he's working. Fourth, walk in the light. That means confess your sin. Keep short accounts of, uh, with people. Don't let offense and bitterness take root. Nothing kills joy like sin and broken relationships that are allowed to fester in our lives. Work at seeing that stuff move through your life. Find healing in that. And the last one is, ask Jesus to open your eyes. Ask Jesus to open your eyes to see the truth of who he is. The fight for joy is always over this area. Can I see Jesus? Where is he? What's he doing? Who is he? Who is he in my life right now? The shepherds, they literally had their eyes open. They saw this revelation right in front of them in this little feeding trough. A heavenly host, an angel speaking to them, an infant lying in a manger who is destined to save not only his people but all of humanity, right? But we too, we need our eyes opened to be able to see this greater revelation of who Jesus is and the life that he came to provide us. Like the shepherds, once that happens, we're never the same again. And you know what's happened. Once those revelations act, they come, they act as this concrete foundation of joy and faith that we can actually stand in a world when it's crashing around us. We can still have joy anchoring us deep within inside of us, even though we might be in the throes of grief. I'll just end with this. Once we see Jesus, really see Jesus, literally or figuratively, it changes everything. It did for the shepherds.